You're tuned to KVMR Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. We get support from Pioneer Solar, locally owned in Nevada City with over 20 years of experience, offering residential and commercial consulting and installation. Reminding listeners, solar power is renewable energy, a personal asset, and an investment. Pioneer.Solar and Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30. Sundays, 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. Tonight, after the California Report, we'll take a brief look at regional news and weather before listening to Bravehearts. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Fire crews are ramping up the battle against the so-called KNP complex fire threatening Sequoia National Park. So far, it's burned 9,000 acres with no containment. The fire is moving closer to an iconic grove of giant sequoias, some of which are more than 2,000 years old. With more, here's the California Report's Alex Hall. The KNP complex is made up of two fires that are burning in Sequoia National Park in the Sierra Nevada. One of the fires is getting dangerously close to a famous grove of giant sequoias called the Giant Forest. It's home to the General Sherman tree, the largest tree on the planet by volume. Fire Information Officer Rebecca Patterson says as the fire moves closer, crews are preparing the trees in the same way they might protect homes or other buildings, by clearing vegetation and in some cases even wrapping their trunks in aluminum material that could protect them if the fire gets too close. We don't want to lose sight of the fact that the sequoias are literally the reason that these public lands were established, and uh, they are absolutely priceless and irreplaceable within many human lifetimes. The fires that make up the KNP complex, the Colony and Paradise fires, were ignited by lightning last week. The park has since been closed, and employees who live there have been evacuated. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Most of California's national forests are reopening today after being closed for weeks due to fire concerns. Late last month, the U.S. Forest Service announced the statewide closure of federal lands, citing record-breaking conditions that were causing extreme fire behavior. Five forests will remain closed due to continuing fire danger. That includes the El Dorado National Forest, where the Caldor Fire is burning. That'll stay off-limits through at least the end of this month. The Los Padres, Angeles, San Bernardino, and Cleveland National Forest in Southern California will also remain closed until next week on the 22nd. Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Paint Care. Now, with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint, more at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. As vaccine mandates take hold around the state, some Californians are seeking exemptions on religious grounds. But verifying claims related to these exemptions involves somewhat murky legal territory. Dorit Rice is a law professor at UC Hastings. She studies vaccine law and policy. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. 
So what does a religious exemption actually mean? Define that for us. A religious exemption is when a worker is claiming they cannot follow a workplace rule because it conflicts with a sincerely held religious belief. The claim is that the employer is asking them to choose between their commitment to God or their conscience and following the rule. So do these exemptions mean specifically religious beliefs or can it also include personal beliefs? Generally speaking, the right is to a if if there is a right, and that's a little complicated, to a religious exemption, not to a personal belief exemption. Some areas are on the borderline. So, for example, there is conflicting precedent on whether being a vegan would qualify as a religious exemption. But I think vaccines are unsafe doesn't qualify. It has to be connected to religion. Mm-hmm. How does one prove that exactly? I mean, we have in Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti saying that the city will not tolerate abuse of these exemptions. But how hard is it from a legal perspective to prove, for example, that someone is lying? It is extremely hard. The problem is that the standard is the personal belief of the believer, not showing that you belong to a religion that prohibits you from vaccinating. The moment the focus is on a personal belief, and the terms get tricky because it's a personal belief in religion, the moment the focus is on the person's view, you have to show whether the person is sincere or not, and that gets you into a very murky area. So, for example, you can't just say, we will only give this to people who can bring a letter from a religious leader saying they have an objection, because it's not about whether you belong to a church that prohibits vaccines or to a synagogue that prohibits vaccines. You can't say, two years ago you got the MMR, so I'm assuming you're lying because people change their views. So there's a lot of things employers can't do, but there's also things that they can do. What's your take on the disparities from one group of churches uh, to the next when it comes to doling out these exemptions? We've seen mega churches that have fought Governor Newsom's health orders. And then on the other hand, in a place like San Diego, you have the Catholic diocese there refusing to take part in these religious vaccine exemptions. A church that's willing to grant an exemption to people without closely examining whether they are uh, sincerely religiously against vaccine is participating in something that's basically abusive or at least uh, dishonest. If a church is giving a letter to someone reaffirming, yes, I've talked to this person, they have a sincerely held religious belief against vaccine. After talking to the person and affirming that, they're just uh, giving testimony to something that is. But wholesale exemptions are basically an abuse. So, Professor, looking at this broadly, what does this mean from a policy perspective? If you have different organizations approaching this issue differently, what does that mean for California's ability to move on from the pandemic and get people vaccinated? Abuse of religious exemptions can really interfere with California's efforts to stop the pandemic. We adopted the mandates because rate of vaccines were not high enough to stop COVID-19 to prevent deaths and harms. If we have widespread abuse of religious exemption, the rates will stay too low which means that stopping abuse of religious exemption is really important. And there are some things employers can do, including asking hard questions from people submitting religious exemption and seeing whether 
these people can give answers that show that the exemption is in fact sincere. All right. Well, very interesting. A debate worth watching as we go forward. Dorit Rice, law professor at UC Hastings. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, September 16th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Locally, Nevada County reported 13 confirmed COVID-19 cases today for a new total of 627 active cases. 19 are hospitalized. Sadly, another fatality was reported today, bringing the county's total to 92. This from the Union. The county's COVID-19 testing site in Grass Valley has added a seventh day to its schedule and is now open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Sunday. The testing site at 231 Colfax Avenue was being used at over 100% of its capacity for some time while it was open five days a week, prompting the recent addition of a sixth day. However, according to County Director of Public Health, Jill Blake, it was still at over 100% utilization with that schedule. Blake says the site was at 94% utilization for the period of September 4th through the 11th. She added that when looking ahead last week to this week's appointments, Monday to Wednesday, only 63% of appointments had already been booked at that time. Blake explained Wednesday at a Q&A that the number of new cases recorded on the county dashboard for Tuesday one new case, was due to an issue with case data being transferred between two state systems. Quote, we use that data that is transferred between these two systems on a daily basis to update our dashboard. If, for some reason, there is a data transfer issue, we're simply not able to update the dashboard, end quote. As a result of the issue Tuesday, according to Blake, the number of new cases recorded on the dashboard for Wednesday, 72, is larger than it otherwise would have been, as it reflects both days' cases. And the Tahoe National Forest has reopened. According to a release, the USDA Forest Service Pacific Southwest Region has rescinded the regional closure order affecting all national forests in California, including the Tahoe National Forest, as of September 15th. However, in order to protect natural resources and provide for public safety, the Tahoe National Forest has revised fire restrictions and implemented a new temporary closure order on dispersed camping and target shooting effective today through November 1st. Turning now to regional weather, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 58. Friday will be sunny with a high near 83. Tomorrow's Air Quality Index, AQI, will be 37. Good. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight clear with a low around 41 degrees. Friday will be sunny with a high near 76. Tomorrow's AQI for Truckee and Tahoe will also be good at 30. And for Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 55 degrees. Friday, sunny again with a high near 85. The AQI for the Valley tomorrow is also expected to be good at 31. Let's listen now to Bravehearts. This week, Betty Louise sits down with Chief Alex Gamelgard, 
Kelly Gallagher, and Jonathan Brown of the Grass Valley Police Department to learn more about the grant-funded program CalVIP, which pairs social workers with police officers to engage with homeless people. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. Okay, here we are. It's Betty Louise for another episode of Bravehearts, and I am here at the Grass Valley Police Station with Kelly Gallagher, Jonathan Brown, and Chief Gamelgard. And they are going to talk to me about the program that has been in place for now seven or so months where a social worker goes out with an officer to certain calls that were, it's, it's felt needed. So, as I mentioned, what I always like to start out with is, what's your story, Kelly? How did you get to this place where you're passionate about working with homeless people? That's a great question. How did I get here? I'm actually new to the area. I actually just moved up here last October. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I've been working with chronically homeless population for approximately eight years. I've been a social worker for 20-odd years or so. I'm just very passionate about humanizing people and restoring dignity. Mm. So Jonathan, how about you? What is your story? Well, I was just a police officer here at the force for a couple of years, and then a, this posting came out for the new position uh, we received a grant for, and I found it interesting and applied and got the position. In so doing, I got to also meet Kelly, which has been great. I have a new position and a new partner to ride around in my car with me all day. Oh, nice. So you guys work together every day? Yes, yes every day. Uh, she rides in my car all day, my entire shift. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, yeah. We're, we're partners. So why don't we explain this program? And I don't know whether, Chief, you want to kind of start out with an overview, and then we can get into the specifics. Yeah, sure. I can, I can start with just sort of the overview. And uh, Kelly and Jonathan are, are the ones that do the work every day. Um, and so they see the needs on the street and are, and, are, and are addressing those needs. As I mentioned to you before, when we were looking at how, how do we best serve our community and all the people in our community, uh, this opportunity came up and it seemed like it really fit with what we were trying to do. Our core values at the police department are dedication, excellence, and partnership. And that's both to the people we serve and to the people who work here. And when this opportunity came up, it was actually brought forward through uh, Nancy Baglietto at Hospitality House, someone who we have a strong partnership with. And we knew that the way that we deliver police services is changing and needs to change and also that the situation with homeless individuals in our community and communities around the country changing and it's um, becoming more complex and there's underlying reasons for homelessness and that it's categorizing someone as homeless is a way to put them in a box but there's so many underlying reasons why somebody is homeless and we really wanted to go further upstream and how we were addressing that and uh, the homeless population generally has a higher incidence of both either being the perpetrator of crime or the victim of crime. And this grant really focused on addressing the victimization side mm. and the propensity for violence within that community. And we thought if we can be more proactive about working with folks, traditional law enforcement models 
revolve around getting a call, responding to the incident, and then doing the investigation and taking the offender to jail and hopefully uh, connecting the victim with services through the court system. The goal here is let's eliminate that crime from even happening if we can, and then let's also help better people's situation to be housed. And, the, and that's the work that Jonathan and Kelly do. So they have a very intimate relationship with so many people on the street that traditionally we were more of a response agency for that we're now more proactive. Of course, there's huge challenges in that space. It's not as easy as just, oh, we're going to go do this work and we're going to have great outcomes all the time because A, there's systems that are complex and B, human beings are complex, right? And so trying to deliver those services isn't just a formula that you apply, mm-hmm. which is why it takes the talent of folks like Jonathan and Kelly to do that. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Right now, this minute, it is cool enough to sit outside and not smoky. The meat bees are still asleep and haven't begun dive-bombing the remains of my breakfast. Outside on this patio, the conversation is humming along, No one's too loud or playing some darn video in their phone with the sound up. There is sun and shade. There are songbirds I can't identify. The freeway sounds a lot like the ocean in its random surgings and quietings. It's confusing to live in a world where there is so much at stake, but your own life in the moment on a Thursday morning feels serene. Yes, there's a mask on my table, and I don't shop after nine in the morning. People I love have died, but not people I know well. Love from a distance, like John Prine and Julie's dad. Most humans are not all that good at abstract thinking. Of course, the mathematicians and philosophers are out there and maybe get more airtime than your average dentist or UPS driver, so we hear more from them than their numbers warrant. But humans, by and large, are sensory animals and react to immediate pleasures or threat. On a day like today, I can barely remember how bad the smoke was last week. I'm still surrounded by wildfire, but since they're getting a handle on those big ones, we don't hear the planes overhead or see panic in our news feeds. I can't smell any smoke. Someone wrote recently somewhere, maybe The Guardian, that this is what he expected with the climate crisis. People would only begin to take action when they themselves had lost a home to fire, or been up to their own waist in a flooded New York subway car, when their parents were dying of COVID and they had to say goodbye on FaceTime. This, of course, is a real problem when we should have cut off use of fossil fuels eight years ago, or 20, in order to survive. I feel like I'm watching an ocean liner finally come to a stop and begin to turn around, in that achingly slow way they do, so huge and ungainly, but the storm clouds are already massed overhead and the tsunami visible on the horizon. We're watching this from the liner's deck, not the shore, of course, because in this metaphor, there is no shore. Some people say, 
Don't talk like that. It's so depressing. You have to have hope. I say, wake the heck up and smell the coffee, the roses, whatever you can still smell in case you don't have COVID yourself. Hope is what you muster up after you've faced reality. Before then, what you're experiencing is denial. And denial isn't unreasonable, to be fair. It's one of the common responses to terror. It helps the human brain not get completely overwhelmed. But it's not useful when you're problem-solving quick action at an enormous scale. It's not something to encourage in others just so you won't feel lonely. It's a temporary strategy. As I was writing, my friend, the firefighter of 41 years, sat down at the next table. We talked for a while about this phenomenon. He said, people are sleepwalking through Armageddon. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That concludes our newscast for tonight, Thursday, September 16th, 2021. The KVMR Evening News airs Monday through Friday from 6 to 6.30 p.m. and is available on our website at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. We get support from Craig Johnson Plumbing, serving Nevada and Placer counties since 2004 partnering with Clearwater and Filtration to provide water testing and treatment, home filtration system design, and existing equipment evaluation. Information at clearwaterandfiltration.com and Hospice of the Foothills, Western Nevada County's nonprofit hospice, providing patient and family support, advanced care planning and grief support since 1979. More information at hospiceofthefoothills.org. Stay tuned. Up next is Money Matters, and this week, host Mark Cunaberti talks stock market jitters. Then, at 7, we bring you Democracy Now! Thanks very much for listening, and thanks for your support of your community radio station. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great evening.